0: 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's open a prayer as we open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you in songs that we've been doing. Lord, we ask you to now, as we look at your word, lift up your word and show us how we are to apply it to our lives. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be what's commonly called Paul's Doxology. Uh, it's then, chapter 6, and we're going to be starting with verse 12, even though we taught this one a couple weeks ago. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called, and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give you charge that in the sight of God, who quickens all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, unto whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting, amen. All right, so here we have Paul Closing out his letter to Timothy, there's going to be another section where he gives a whole lot of people that he talks about and that is with him. But he says to Timothy, I charge you in the sight of God. Now, this word for charge is literally, he's given him a command as a superior commander expecting to be obeyed. This is a command that he's making to Timothy. He says, I am charging you to do something. And, you know, Paul is being very bold to Timothy. He says, I expect you to be obedient. Now most of us, when we read the Bible, kind of forget sometimes that God puts commands on our life. God has expectations for us to live a certain way and a certain lifestyle. And so often we look at them, you know, people have said, you know, people look at the 10 commandments in the Old Testament and many of them look at them as if they're the 10 suggestions for life. Okay, and we'd have lots of places where we say, okay, God, you made a command. Well, I think I will decide whether I want to obey it or not because God, you're not God, I'm God. And we might not be quite that bold, but isn't that what we're telling him? God, I'm not going to listen to your commandments because, you know what, I'm the one who's the arbitrator of what's right or wrong. And that's what our world is telling us right now. We get to decide what's right and wrong. It's being taught all over the place. It's taught in our movies. It's taught in our schools. It's taught in, you know, everything we do and see. You know, and if you watch the news, you'll hear somebody say, well, you know, this is what I think is right. Or if you talk to somebody and witness to them, well, that's, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, I got news for them. Truth is truth. Whether, it's, whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter because truth is truth. Okay. God gives us rules. He expects us to live by them. If we don't live by them, we will have consequences for not living by them. And as I've said many times, even if you obey them, there's consequences. We like to call them rewards. (laughs) But, you know, every action that we do in life has a consequence. Whether good or bad, there's a consequence for everything we do. Everything we say has consequences. How many times do you get talking to somebody and you find yourself saying things that you shouldn't say? You know, you know. I know the Sunday School lesson this morning was on the tongue. <laughs> uh, and James in the, in the part that they were talking about says, if anybody can control can, can their tongue, they are a perfect person. Well, none of us are perfect. Uh, we will all say and do things that are not correct. And there's consequences. How many times have you seen a friendship ruined because a tongue wagged a little bit? And the person never forgave that person for something they said or, you know, said about them. Uh, We've seen churches get split because people's tongues wag and they get, and, you know, and they say things they may not even know anything about and they start saying things and next thing you know there's a church in in trouble, Uh, families in trouble, businesses in trouble, governments in trouble, all because people don't think before they speak. And here Paul is saying, I'm charging you, Timothy. And what's he's charging him to be, he says, before God and before Christ Jesus. So he's calling in some pretty strong witnesses on this charge. You know, Timothy, I'm not just saying this as Paul, which would be good enough in one sense because Paul was his discipler. Paul was the one that had, you know, groomed him and trained him. So that would have been enough. Timothy, I'm charging you as your disciple, as your pastor, to do this. But he says, but Timothy, it's not just me. It's God and Jesus Christ. And I love this thing when he says here, Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Now, we think about this, are you aware of what that confession was? You know, there's a lot of things Jesus said and did. You know, he spoke a whole t- four years about being the Son of God. He kept telling his disciples, especially the last year, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And they really didn't believe him. They didn't understand. It didn't make sense to them. So they really didn't pay much attention. When Jesus died, they'd shocked them. You know, I don't know how it could have shocked him because we read through there and it says, he kept, us, he kept telling us, he kept telling us, he kept telling us, he kept telling us. But how many times have we been reading through the Bible and God tells us something and we totally ignore it? You know, I can't be too hard on the disciples because I've done it many times. I, I read through the Bible, try to read through the Bible every year. And yet, all the time, I tell you, I find things in the Bible that God just put there yesterday. You know, and it's, you know it's pretty amazing when you're reading through the Bible and you find something you've never seen before when you've read it every year. And I've told you, I like to have fun with God. I go, God, how, when did you, why did you put this in my Bible all of a sudden? You know, I know that it's been there. Okay. But you know, there's times when we read through it and all of a sudden something jumps off the page and says, now you're going to pay attention. Now is the time you're going to obey this. And once you know what you're supposed to do, you're accountable before God to do it. Okay? That's whether you read it in the scripture, you get taught it in a Bible study. Uh, you know, and personally, I believe if you were supposed to be at a Bible study and chose not to go, you're responsible for what was taught. Uh, Because I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, if I'm going to be responsible for going to church, I just won't go to church. I go, well, I think God's going to hold you accountable for what you were supposed to hear. uh, If you were where you were supposed to be. That's a personal opinion. I have no Bible verse on that one. But having had enough people tell me, well, I just won't go to church if that's going to be the case. I won't read my Bible if that's the case. Well, if you can do those things in the first place, maybe you're not one of his children. But if you're going to avoid his word and his, and his church, just so you don't get accountable, there's gonna be some consequences for that as well. But he says here, the confession of Jesus before Pilate. Now, Jesus stood before Pilate on several different places in the, in the Gospels, but I just wanna look at John's account of what he said in before Pilate. John, chapter 18, starting at verse, Twenty-three. Jesus answered him, "If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if it be well, why smite you me?" Then Ananias sent him down before Caiaphas the high priest, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and the outside. I'm going to skip over this. I didn't. I want to go (laughs) twenty-eight. Then led Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went in not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they would but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate went out unto them and said, What accuse you th- what accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto you. Then said Pilate unto them, Take him, judge him according to your laws, and the Jews thereof said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which spoke of signifying what death he would die. And Pilate entered the judgment hall, and he called Jesus and said, Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, saying, Sayest you this of yourself, or did others tell you? Pilate answered him, Am I a Jew that your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you unto me? What have you done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, Then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate said, You are a Jew then. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate says, "What What is truth? And then we jump over to chapter 19, and we're going to start here on... Verse 8. When Pilate therefore heard the saying, he was more afraid, and went in into the judgment hall and said, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said, Speak you not to me? Know you not that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said, You certainly have no power at all against me, except it were given you from above. Therefore, he did, that delivers me unto you has the greater sin. So Jesus' testimony before Pilate is, I am the king. <laughs> you know. And he also said, You wouldn't have power unless it was given to you. Jesus said, you know, I am a king, and you wouldn't even have any authority unless I gave it to you, or the Father in this case gave it to you. Is this the power that we really think about Jesus having? You know. How many times in our lives do we say, God, why did this happen? You know, what are we telling God? God, you must have gone to the restroom or something on vacation while, while all these bad things happened to us. Jesus' testimony was, I am the king, I am in charge, nothing will happen without my allowing it to happen. We need to really grab hold of this truth. You know, when things happen to us, if we're his children, God allowed it, even if you're not his children, he allowed it, but especially for his children, nothing happens to us without his approval, you know, and if you don't believe that, go back and read Job 1 through 3, and you'll find that God approved of everything that happened to Job, and even kind of egged Satan on, You you know, Satan appeared before, and he goes, you know, what have you been doing, well, I've been going around the world looking for mischief, basically. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? Would you like it if God said, have you considered my servant and put your name in there? Especially not if you're going through a job, but you know God does that all the time with us. Have you considered my servant Ralph? He he needs a little bit of extra training, so have you considered him? Are you ready to give him some trials? You know, I'm going to give you permission. But you notice the one thing that Satan could do, he had to have permission to do anything to Job. God says, okay, you can take away his possessions. Then he says, okay, you can, take away, you, can, you can take away his kids. Okay, you can take away his health, but you cannot take away his life. Each thing was given permission. In our lives, Satan can only have so much permission to do anything in our life. He has to ask for permission from God because God is the sovereign King of the universe, and nothing happens without His permission. So a lot of people will "Well, why does God let all these bad things happen?" Well, most of it is to teach us dependence upon Him. You now, how many of you have gone through something and it was really hard when you went through it, but you look back on it and say, "Wow, it was really a blessing." You know, really hard when it happened. Didn't like it when it happened. But you look back on it and say, yes, it was good. Now, this looking back may be years later. It might be decades later. might not even be till you get to heaven. And God shows you what it was for. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not always for our own good. It might be for somebody watching you go through a hard time being trusting of God and saying, wow, if they can go through that... I can go through what I'm going through. And I've had that happen in my life where somebody watched me going through some trials and said, you know, a year later, they're going, I was really encouraged by watching you. We don't know the reason for most of what we go through because it may not be ever revealed until heaven. And then people in heaven will come up, you know, I was really encouraged, I watched you. Do you realize how many people are watching us? Probably not. Think back over your life. How many Christians have encouraged you to live more godly and you probably never went up to them and said, you know, I am just so glad that you serve God so faithfully and so well, you know, and I just want to tell you, because of you, I'm, I'm doing so good. Maybe we should do that more often. Encourage some of these people because I hear it all the time. Well, I'm not doing anything for God's kingdom. No, nobody watches me. Well, if nobody's watching you, that means you never opened your mouth to tell them you're a Christian. I can guarantee if you tell people you're a Christian, people are watching you. If you tell them you're going to church, they're watching you to see what does church mean. Does it mean that you're different? And I love watching people grow in Christ. I love watching the people just change. You know, there's many people in this church that I look at it and say, wow, the changes in your lives are so great. This is what you were five, six years ago, and look where you're at now. You know, we got people giving out tracts every week. You know, uh, we've got people sharing the gospel with different people every week. we got people whose lives have been changed. And it's a pleasure to watch these lives change, to see what God's doing. And those lives that are changed draw other people and say, I wonder... They might even ask the person to talk to them, but they're going, I wonder what makes them different. They say they go to church. They say it's God. I wonder. I wonder. You know, and our witness, Jesus's witness before Pontius Pilate was just that. He served God. He kept his witness. I've been reading the Richard Warmbrandt story about the underground church in Romania, and it's amazing what those people, Christians went through in their suffering for God. And they, many of them stayed faithful. Not all of them. Nobody's going to always stay faithful. He told the story of one pastor who had his son killed in front of him, and he was a broken man for the rest of his life. And you could understand that. You understand how that would be something broken. He didn't turn, he didn't turn his people over to the authorities, but he was a broken man from that point on. And he was ready to confess before his son was beaten to death. And his son says, don't. I don't disgrace me for having a coward for a father where we'll meet in heaven again. Is that the kind of what, you know, what kind of language was that? That encouraged the pastor, yet it still affected his life. What is our impact? Are we holding a good confession before people? That is what we're told to do. And Jesus held that confession all the way before Pontius Pilate as he's being ready to be sent to die. Then he says, that you keep this commandment. Which commandment? The one to be a good soldier. <laughs> okay, that's why I went back and read chapter, uh, verse 12, you know, that you fight the good fight, that you continue. You know, we're to keep that commandment. We're to stay strong with God. And the good news is that when we fail, and note that I say, when we fail, because <laughs> we will all fail. When we fail, we repent. And God says, okay, we'll bring you back. He gives us grace. You know, I love God's grace. <laughs> you know, it is so important to really stand in his grace. We do nothing to deserve salvation. And we do nothing to deserve our, to keep our salvation. You know, and I know that's a different message. There are lots of Christian churches out there that tell, will tell you, you didn't do anything to deserve your salvation, but you've got to do all these other things to keep your salvation. And it's sad because it's not a biblical statement. Now, that doesn't mean doing things for God is bad. I mean, we're commanded to be obedient. But our obedience does not make God love us more. It doesn't make him like us more. It doesn't keep us in going to heaven. All it does is show that I love him and that he's changing me. As you walk with God, you are going to become more and more obedient. Not because it gets you into heaven. Not because it keeps you going to heaven. Just because you want to love him and show God I love you and this is what I want to show you that I love you by obeying you. And it's very important for us to understand that. When you're witnessing, it can be very interesting when people go, well, you know, easy for you to, you're, you're, you're such a good person. You, you're not, you don't drink, you don't, you don't do drugs, you don't do, you know, you're not sleeping around and going, wow, if you only knew the problems that we have. You know. Okay, yeah, you're looking at me and saying, okay, I don't have the problems that you think are problems. But Jesus lifted up our sins to a much higher, higher level. If you think the wrong things, you know, now how many people know what you think? Not very many. You know, sometimes your face may show some of what you think. But you know, most people don't know what you're thinking. God does. God knows when you have that thought that you would just love to smack that person upside the head for what they did. (laughs) God knows when you have that lustful thought. And yes, you didn't act on it, so you don't have quite as big a consequence for it. But you know, for us as Christians, have you ever been convicted really harshly by what you thought about? saying or what you thought about doing happened to me many times oh god I am so sorry that that thought even came across my mind help me help me get these thoughts out of my life and then there's other thoughts you have to worry about (laughs) this is why I say the good news for us is we're gonna be learning to be perfected for the rest of our life every time we get victory over some area of our life God's got plenty of things to show us that are that are down there, and, and anybody who's walked with God long enough knows that's exactly what happens. Okay, God, I've learned to control my, my tongue about my employer. Oh, you want me to play it to, to the members of the church? Oh, no, okay, God. Okay, God, I've learned to control my tongue with the, with the members of the church. Okay, now I want you to get all those people you don't like. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, no, God, can't do that. You know, he's going to keep changing us little by little. And changing the way we think, and each time we get a victory, he's going to say, okay, you can have a little bit of a respite, and now we're going to give you the next thing to work on. You know, Paul said at the end of his life, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And a lot of people would say, well, Paul was looking back at when he was you know, persecuting the church. I don't believe that. You know, he knew that was forgiven. He knew that was gone. He'd gone through and he'd been building churches. But I really believe that he was getting so close to God that he looked at God and, you know, looked at God's perfection and looked at his own life and said, this is ugly. I know that's happening with me as I go along. There's so much I've thrown out of my life and then I look at my life and go, God, there's so much more. But is there ever going to be an end? and And I like to describe it, you know, if you're in a room and you have a candle on, the room can look very clean, dust free. Okay, many, many people laugh, laughing, you know exactly where it is. You know, you put a 40-watt bulb in your room and all of a sudden it looks a little dirty. You get that room cleaned up for a 40-watt bulb and you put a 60-watt bulb in there. And all of a sudden, no, this room still looks ugly. <laughs> the more light that God shines in our, to our life, the more we're going to see the ugliness that's there. And I thank God that he starts out with candles and not, not a great big, uh, uh, you know, 20 million candle spotlight on us. Uh, because it would probably destroy us if we saw our wicked evilness from the very beginning. But God in his mercy (laughs) shows us just a little bit at a time and says, okay, just work on this. Clean clean what you see. Paul was at the point where he had that great big spotlight on his life and saying, man, my life is just ugly. Jeremiah tells us that we are the iniquity is such that we cannot understand it. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? You know, we can't because our heart truly is evil. Even with the new heart in there, we, Satan sneaks in and gets, puts an evil heart. And we spend our entire life letting God work out. The good news is concentrate on the things he's done for you. <laughs> okay? Take joy and celebrate what he has changed in you. Even though you see ugliness in your life and ugliness in your in your life rejoice in how far you've come because we're never going to get perfect so take joy when I look around at people I'm not looking to see people that are perfect I see I'm looking to see people that are growing wow this person look how far they've come they're not saying the same things they're not that they used to say they're not doing the same things they used to do they've, they're learning to control their tongue and guarantee you, our tongue will get us into more trouble than anything else. Our thoughts will get us into more trouble than anything else with God. And we're never going to get out of those. And this is what Paul is saying here. Keep this commandment. And he says, without spot, without reproach, unrebukable, and until the appearing of Christ Jesus. Now none of us are going to be without spot and unrebukable. But you know some Christians, if you just look at them, you see but looks like they're doing pretty good sometimes. Especially if they've walked with God long enough. You go, okay, that person looks pretty good. I don't know what their heart is. I don't know what they're doing when I'm not around. But, you know, they look pretty good. The world watches us. And this is what Paul's telling. Live as best you can a good testimony before other people. Now, Paul knew, knew the heart. He, knew, he understood that. But, you know, so many times you'll hear people go, well, I know that you're not all that good. You're, you're right, I'm not that good. You know, the pastor's been saying for many years there's two reasons that people do not become a Christian. One is they know a Christian, or they know a Christian, <laughs> okay. And what they mean by that is literally there are people out there that say they're a Christian and live like the world. We've all been around, many of them. They, they there's no distinguishing of them other than the fact that they say they're a Christian. Those people aren't going to be able to bring anybody to God unless God touches their heart in, in spite of them. Because they're going to go, well, why should I be a Christian? You, you're out drinking with me. You're drugging with me. You're, you're sleeping around just like I do. You're, you're lying. You're, you're a thief. You're just like me. Why should I become a Christian? What is the difference? Then we have Christians who will go way too far the other way and they judge everybody who's not like them and drive people away. Both sides of the coin are bad. And you all have heard me, one of my favorite things is, I'm not your judge, and I really mean that. I had a man the other day that, that just started at the prison and he found out that I was a pastor and then, and as soon as I said, well, I gotta watch what I say around you. I'm going, you know what? I'm not your judge. God is the one you're gonna stand before. And he's with you all the time, so it doesn't matter. And I really mean that. I'm not somebody's judge. I'm not the judge of anybody in this room. You know, because God is their judge. My job is simple. I just get to tell you what the Word says. <laughs> you know, you get to live it out or don't live it out. I will encourage you to live it out. You know, if there's a relationship that's developed, I will encourage you to stop doing the things that bring disgrace to God. But I'm not your judge. And hopefully none of you are my judge. <laughs> okay? I know none of you are. You may think you are. But I, know, I know none of you are. I stand to fall before God as well. But as a pastor, I have to hold a higher standard for myself that says I'm not gonna do certain things that will bring disgrace to not only God, but the church. Because I have a higher standard. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, you need to live at a very high standard. Now all of us as Christians have to live at at a higher standard because we stand and fall before God, and people look at us. But if you have respect of other people, you need to be very careful. I have seen people that have fallen, and sometimes we put people too high up on a pedestal and we go, you know, pastors who fall into disgrace. Sometimes their churches suffer really bad because they put their pastor up on a pedestal saying, look how good my pastor is. And when their pastor fails big time, it shakes their faith. Don't look at another. You know, Paul told his followers, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay. Okay. Don't follow me when I'm going into sin. Don't follow me when things are bad. But, you know, when I'm walking in the right direction, you can follow me and go the direction that I'm taking you. We need to have people we look at and say, this is my or This is the one I'm learning from. This is the one I'm trying to be getting information from. But don't rise that person up on a pedestal saying whatever they say is gospel, whatever they say is correct, whatever they do is correct, because they are human. <laughs> okay? And... Humanity means we have problems. (laughs) If you're human, and I hope everybody in this room is human. I'm sure they are. (laughs) If you're human, you have a sin nature. It doesn't take Satan in our life to give us uh, any problem whatsoever. We all have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in us. We can get in trouble without any help whatsoever from the enemy. Not a problem, it's, you know, it's not hard. We need to keep that in mind. When we look at others, if we tend to t- t- judge others, we gotta look at them and say, what brought them there? You know, I mentioned pastors who fall. Who knows what, how many times they said no to the, to, the, to, the, to the temptation before they finally fell? None of us do. We might have fell on the second or third time that we got hit with whatever their temptation was, They may have lasted for hundreds of times before they fell. We need to be very careful about judging one another. Our job as Christians is to edify one another and lift them back up. Somebody falls down, our job is to go over and help pick them up. Now, many Christians think it's their job to go kick them around a little bit and beat them up and make them feel really, really bad that they're a bad example of Christ. And that's not what we're called to do. Now, I think of... There are certain branches of the military who make a pride out of the fact that they leave nobody behind. You know, they, they, go if they, they will go back in and rescue the person. They go on. Our churches should be that kind of mentality. We're not leaving anybody behind when they fall into sin. We reach over to them and, you know, let's get you back up on your feet. Let's help you get back up. God still loves you. And when we go on and we kick and beat them up, we're basically telling them God doesn't love you. You, you got so bad, you're, you're so bad that God doesn't love you. And that's not a true statement. God loves us. He really loves us as his children. But you know, he really loves us when we're lost. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, okay, that he gave his only begotten son. God loves everybody. Even for a Christian, when we fail, God doesn't say, oh, no, my child failed again. I'm going to kick him out of the family. That's not what he does. He's saying, oh, get back up on your feet. Let's, let's get you back going. <coughs> Too many times we as Christians say, oh, well, this person keeps falling. I'm going to just say, you know, push him out, not have anything to do with him. We need to be careful of that. And it says we do these things until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back again. The rapture is sometime soon. Now we know we've been saying that for uh, 2,000 years. But you know what, it's sooner today than it was. Okay, and as we look at this world and where we're headed in this world, it sure looks like the rapture is very, very soon. Of course, the disciples saw so too because they were being persecuted by, by Caesar uh, Nero and being killed left and right and bad things were happening to them. So we can still have a long time until Christ returns for his church. But I can tell you one thing, we're closer today than we were when he said that he was coming back. All right? Could it be several hundred years? Could it still be thousands of years? It could be. I hate to see how bad the world's going to get in that time, consider where it's at right now. But he's coming soon for us. But even if he doesn't come in our lifetime, there's going to be a day when we go and stand before him. Okay? There's a 100% chance that you're either going to die or be raptured. Okay? There's no other option. <laughs> there's a 100% chance that you're either going to die and stand before Jesus or he's going to snatch you from this world to stand before him. And this is what Paul's encouraging him. All the rest of your days, stand and serve God. We as Christians have to take that command in our life. Rest of our days, stand and serve God. Because it's easy to quit. It's easy just to give up. It's hard to stay in the battle. It's hard to continue fighting the flesh, fighting the demonic forces, fighting the world's forces. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have a power in our life to let us live a righteous life. We have the power in us to act godly. We have the power in us to technically live perfectly. Most of us won't. Probably all of us won't. I'm probably saying all better. You know, uh, probably none of us will live, live a perfect life. You know, the power is there, so I'm going to say it's a possibility, but I don't believe anybody's ever going to do it. Uh, Enoch and Elijah came pretty darn close. They both went, you know, got close enough that God took them home. You know, to be with Him right away. And I think that would be what happened if we got close enough to be imperfect, perfect God would say, "Okay, you're, you're almost here. Let's take you home." Uh, but that's what He's saying: live this way until the appearing of Jesus Christ, which in His time shall show who is the blessed only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immor- immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. What a description of God <laughs> that he's giving. The only potentate. A potentate is not a word you hear used very often in our, in our day and age. But it literally means the master, the king, okay? The strong leader. You know there is nobody to be placed before God. God says you are to have no other gods before me. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. How many times do we put something before God? Now, Way too often in most of our lives, you know, sometimes we don't even know something's in front of him until God shows it to us. You know, there's been things that in my life where God says, you know, it's time for you to give up this thing because it's a little more important to you than me. And I go, oh, no, I don't know if I can give that up, God. But yes, I guess I'm going to have to. You know, good news for you, God will always win the fight. Don't argue with God for long. <laughs> true maturity, he will win the fight. Uh, true Christian maturity is when you hear God's voice and you say, okay, God, Yes. When you're immature with God, you fight with Him and say, nope, not going to happen, not going to change. God wins, <laughs> always. He's going to change your life. When He puts it in there, He will win. So learn to, learn to celebrate uh, and surrender quickly. Is he, he's the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says He is above all things. Do we really understand that God is above all things? This is why I started with this. He is sovereign. He is the one that is going to rule. He's going to have his way because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now there are a lot of people thinking, "Oh, okay, God, you do your thing and I'll do my thing and I'm going to win." Well, God knows what they're going to do, and He's already made plans to try to draw them to Him. He knows that they're going to reject Him, and He knows that hell awaits them. In the end, He wins. They stand before Him and said, "God, you know, I did it. I did it my way." And God says, you did, and you get to enjoy hell my way. (laughs) And this is the sad thing about this is people think that they're telling God no and that they're winning somehow. But every single person will stand before God. We as Christians will stand before Jesus at the Bema Seat, and he'll say, let's look at your works. Let's see what you're going to be rewarded for. Everybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ stands at the white throne judgment to be condemned for rejecting Jesus Christ. And they will get what they wanted. They will get hell, separation from God, for eternity. It's not what they want, but it's what they thought they wanted. How many times have you ever got what you thought you wanted? (laughs) And God says, well, you really, really, really kept bugging me about this. Here, you can have it. And we go, oh, uh, this really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. We have people all the time that get to the epitome of fame and there's nothing necessarily wrong with fame. But if your whole life is to get famous, your whole life is to get rich, and you'll do anything that that you can to get there, and God says, okay, you got it, now what? And if you don't believe me, just start looking at all the different ones that commit suicide and to get, get addicted to drugs and alcohol and then start looking for something else, fame, fortune, you know, all these things will not fulfill what only God can conf- fulfill. And there's people who s- feel like they get there and then end up realizing it's not, it's not what I thought it, it was. Wasn't. And when you tell people, well, well, I'll take my chance, I'll try it. You know, millions of people have gotten there and found out that it was nothing. You know, we need to be able to accept that testimony. It's nothing. The world cannot fulfill what God is there. It says, "Who is who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light that no man can approach. Immortal. God. No beginning, no end. We can't even comprehend that thought. You know, when did God begin? He didn't. <laughs> you know, well, how, how do I go back... Uh, uh, let's see, my, my new word I lear- learned two weeks ago, learned a years. That's a uh, one with 36 zeros <laughs> after it. Yeah. We'll, we'll go back real far. God was still there. God, and he hadn't begun. Go back another set of the years that far. He's still there. Hadn't begun. We can't comprehend of something with nothing, no beginning. God created us to be eternal future beings. We all had a beginning. Everybody in this room, everybody who's listening to me, had a day when they were born, the day they started. A human being born has an eternal life into the future. Has a beginning, but an eternal life. Now that life may be spent in hell, which they would call eternal death. Or it's going to be spent in heaven for eternal bliss and life. But we were created to be eternal future. We had a beginning. God had no beginning. We can't comprehend what it means to have no beginning. In the beginning, God. And it wasn't his beginning, it was the beginning of our time. Okay? And he says he's immortal. He lives in a light that no man can approach. God's light is so perfect. He is truth. He is light. We talked about how when God shines more of his light in us, we see more of the darkness in our our life, and he has to say, clean this up. God is perfect light. There is no darkness in him. When you read about revelation in heaven, heaven is going to play a place where there's no darkness. Darkness. Now I can't imagine a place with no darkness because we don't exist in a place with no darkness. Our three-dimensional life has dark and dark and you know we have a three-dimensional realization because of the light. Uh, every once in a while, when you watch a movie or usually news broadcasts, you see them against a green screen and you can see the phoniness of how they stand against a green screen. They've cleaned much of that over, but every once in a while, you'll see. Is so phony behind them, and they stand out. <laughs> Won't be like that in heaven when we're without darkness, without darkness, no darkness in heaven, no sorrow in heaven. You know, we talked about this before. Paul said that I counted all joy for, for the light sufferings that I've been going through. You know, how did he say they were light? Because he compared them to heaven. He says heaven is so perfect. But when I get there, I won't care what I've gone through here. Is that our attitude when we suffer? God, thank you. <laughs> thank you that I'm worthy. God, I'm looking forward to getting to heaven where I don't have to remember any of this stuff. I've shared with you, if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's a hard book to read, but most of those guys all said, you know, thank you, God. <laughs> I'm going to serve you. Thank you that I've been found worthy to suffer. The disciples also had that word. Thank you, God. I thank God that I was found worthy to suffer. Is that our attitude when we, when we run into problems? Or is our attitude, God, you know, how could you let all this stuff happen? I'm going I'm to grump and gripe and complain for, for you know, take your pick. <laughs> We're probably all grump and complaining, you know, even if we turn it to God for a couple minutes. <laughs> You know, God I just don't understand. God says, Okay, okay, God, you're right. I don't I don't need to understand. Some people it will be hours, days, weeks, decades that they gripe and complain about what God's letting in them in their life. They just never grow to the place where they say, God, thank you. And then he says, Whom no man has seen nor can see, be glory and honor and power everlasting. I was going to read in Exodus uh, 33, but I'm going to let you all read it on your own. 33 verses 18 through 23. That's the story of where Moses asked God, he goes, God, I want to see you. God, I want to see you. And God says, no man can see me and live. No man can see my face and live. And Moses persisted. He goes, okay, I will do this much for you. I'll let you see the backside of me. Now, I don't know what the backside of God looks like, but Moses is the only one that can tell us at this point, you know, from a human being. And Moses was put into the cleft of the rock. God put his hand over him and let him see his backside. And then you read in Exodus 34, it gives the name of God, and he, God declares his name to Moses. Very interesting reading. I'm going to let you all read it because it's, it's, I, I got long-winded as usual. <laughs> and then he ends this doxology with... Amen. Now we end our prayers with Amen and Amen is a Hebrew word that is transliterated as Amen in every single language. It's an amazing thing. Amen is one of those universal words that is just translated and it means let it be so or so be it you know or let it be you know what a wonderful word that Paul ends this he goes this is our God let it be. Agree. You know, the other word that is out of the Hebrew that we will be able to use around, around the globe is hallelujah. You know, you know praise God. You know, it's an amazing thing that God has taken some Hebrew words and said, we're just going to let everybody speak these words. Uh, but you know, our encouragement today is how are we going to live? Am I going to let God live in me enough that he lives out of me? And truly, that is what we're looking for. He, we want him to come in, crucify the flesh. He says, I'm going to dwell in you. We as his children have him living in us. He lives in us and he comes out. Now, if you're not his child, you, he's not living in you and you're not getting the power of him living in you. Very important that we come to Christ. And The better on, the earlier we can come to him is better. Yeah. I've heard people say, well, you know, when I get old, I'll come to Christ. Okay, well, how long are you going to live? Now, That's a serious question. I mean, I have known teenagers and children who have died. Yeah. We hear about them all the time on the news, but I have actually known a few that have died. Every one of them thought they were, might have time to accept Jesus Christ. Every single person who dies is expecting to live next week. Every single person who dies has made plans for future events. Doctors visits and and family visits and all these other things. And all of a sudden if they die, everything changes and their plans all have to change because their plans do not matter. We cannot put off a decision for Christ. We cannot put off and say, God, you know, I'll be obedient tomorrow. God, I'll be obedient next year. None of us as his children know that we have tomorrow, next year. And I've shared this. Every one of us expect to leave this room and make it home. Some of you have a very short way to get home. You should make it home. But you're still not guaranteed to make it home. I'm not guaranteed to make it home tonight. Anything can happen because God is in control of our life. We don't want to put off accepting him. We don't want to put off obedience to him. When God speaks to you, obey. Learn to obey. Hear his voice and say, yes, God, I'm going to obey. Don't fight with him. You're not guaranteed any time. None of us are guaranteed any time. And we want to be obedient to him in all that we do. And we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help us to stay obedient to your commands. Help us to listen to your voice teach us to listen crucify our flesh let us hear your voice clearer and clearer with each passing day and help us be obedient to we just thank you in Jesus name amen